Good morning, everybody. We're so glad you're here to uh, worship with us uh, this morning. And uh, today I'm wrapping up this series called uh, The Pursuit. We're on the, the fourth week. And the pursuit is um, of wisdom. How do we be uh, a person, a person who pursues wisdom? How do we be that in our family, a family that pursues wisdom? And then uh, really, how do we be a church uh, that pursues wisdom together? And that's actually what I'm gonna be talking about uh, today uh, with this a sermon called Wisdom Seekers. How do we be a group of people that actually seek wisdom uh, together? And, and also, how do we uh, get wisdom like from each other as God gives us wisdom? How do we be the type of people that help others in different situations and decisions that they face? And so uh, if you're new or you've missed some of the series, I wanna just do a brief series recap uh, so we're all on the same page. So you'll see on the screen here, uh, we started uh, week one talking about uh, the pipeline for wisdom, and a pipeline is where things flow, and for wisdom to flow into your life, uh, you need to have teachability. The idea is you need to know that you need wisdom, but for you to admit that you need wisdom, there has to be a certain amount of teachability, and what you find in life is teachability is actually the only shortcut that exists. It's the only shortcut to wisdom. You, you, there's no magic keys uh, to life. You, you have to actually... Uh, be faithful with what you have, but if you're teachable, there are actually some shortcuts because you can learn from others. You can learn from good decisions. You can learn from bad decisions. And so this pipeline is really important. If you wanna pursue wisdom, uh, you, you kind of need to start there. Become a teachable person. Week two, uh, we talked about wisdom blockers. What, what are some things that kind of stop the pipeline of wisdom from flowing uh, into us? And we talked specifically about our sad Hearts and sad stands for, anybody remember what the S stands for? Selfishness, what's the A? Arrogance and the D? Damaging. We have three things, all of us, in our hearts. There's a certain degree of selfishness. We want what we want. There's a certain degree of arrogance. We think we deserve it. And then there's a certain degree of damage. Like, I don't wanna hurt you, but if you get in the way of what I want, I might have to. And, and that exists in all of us. And so we have to deal with our hearts at the core of us and scripture, for this to happen, for us to deal with it, it must be true and real. That is, not only do I grow in knowledge of God and his ways, but that I actually begin to apply scripture to my life. So it's not just something interesting to learn how God says to treat each other, but it's something that I actually need to learn and then put into practice. As you do with that, like your sad heart, those things that are in there at your core, which we know is there, God can actually begin to help you that. And then week three, uh, this was last week, we talked about wisdom in person. All the treasures of wisdom can be found in Christ and as we love God and love others and walk by faith. And so if you want wisdom, ultimately, the way of wisdom and the path of this pursuit is through Jesus. It's through him. There's no other way that you can gain the wisdom that you can gain from following Jesus, from doing things his way, from loving God above all to loving others and walking by faith. As you do those things, wisdom will begin to grow. And so what the scripture has done is it's laid out. This is, this is the path that you can walk on. And we all have to choose. Well, it's kind of at the beginning. Am I, am I gonna choose to be a teachable person? And certainly that includes some, some humility. Am I gonna be somebody that's willing to listen to what others say? So I'm not talking all the time. Am I listening to what people are saying? And then am I gonna deal with my heart and allow scripture to speak to me on a regular basis? So all of this uh, you might have guessed this, but all of this cannot happen on one Sunday, coming to church and then leaving. Because there's so much that's happening uh, in the week 
with our hearts, all the things that we're facing that, that we actually need wisdom in the pursuit of every day of our life. And more than that, we actually need to be a part of a community. And here at Ridgeview, that's what we want to be. We want to be a part of a community that seeks this wisdom together. But that's also more than just coming together on a Sunday. Because as you sit in rows, and even as you visit before and after church, there are certain limits to talking because of time. There are also certain limits to what you will say because of the setting. There are certain limits because you just like, it's hard to hear when there's a big group of people. There's all sorts of things that limit the amount of conversation that we can have. And also, there's limits to a certain snapshot where you can't maybe get help in a five-minute conversation. Has anybody asked you how you're doing? And you just want to tell them, do you want to take a seat? And I'll tell you. <laughs> That's what life is, right? It's not simple. It's very complex. The reason is, is most of the time what we're experiencing uh, comes from decisions that we've made, uh, sometimes over years. And so for us to learn wisdom, it's not something that you can microwave and all of a sudden it's manufactured and you get help. No, oftentimes decisions that we make over years actually take years to untangle. Now, God is very gracious. He's compassionate. But again, wisdom is not. Reality is reality. And so there's a lot of things that we get tangled up in our lives, decisions that we regret, things inside of us that discourage us, disappoint us, pull us down. So what God wants us as the church is to be the type of place where we come and we don't fake relationships with each other. It's real. We also put each other before ourselves. That's hard attitude number one, put the goals and interests of others above our own. Like we want a certain culture here. But even more than that, we don't just want friendships. We also don't just want community for community's sake. We want a certain type of relating that happens that points us to wisdom. And that's the first point where I wanna start uh, today. If you could put that up on the screen. God wants the church to be a fellowship of wisdom seekers. That's his desire for the church. Now, for you, if you grew up in church, you may have some concept of that. But for me, the church was always, 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 when I was young, a place I went. And did you know, I ate in a place called the Fellowship Hall. I don't know if your church had that back in the day. But fellowship to me was like, yeah, it's Christians eating together. And usually it's a potluck of some sort. And that's fellowship. And church is a place that you go, and it's a building. And then you have a service, and then you leave, you go to the parking lot. And the parking lot's the church parking lot. And everything's related to this location of church. What you find is in the intent of the scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament is the church was never focused on a building, right? But it was focused on a function that they did together, something far greater than just a one snapshot time in a week. It was actually a commitment to certain things. It's a commitment to doing life together. But we live in a time where so many are longing for community, but it's much more than even just being together. There's actually a certain caliber. There's a certain type and there's a certain characteristic of how God wants us to operate as a church. And so I wanna close out this series by really giving a vision of what God wants us to be about as a church. And we're not gonna do it perfectly. We're gonna miss the mark. But as we commit to grow in this together as a church and be committed to seeking wisdom, what God will do is he will grow the quality of our relationships. And this will become a place where as people need help, they can find it in the church. The church needs to reclaim the authority that God has given us to help people. The church needs to become a place where we reclaim, this is a place where people who are broken can get help. 
For the most part, churches outsourced all of these things to experts. And there's things you can learn in psychology. There's things you can learn in philosophy. And there's things that you can learn uh, in society and in our culture, but nobody can compare, again, to the treasures found in Jesus only. And the church, that's what we're about, is Jesus. And so there's a certain thing that God has in the church that does not exist in any other entity. It's actually even bigger than your family. Because in your family, it's not completely the church, it's your family. So what God does is he brings families all together. And your family could be, even if you're single, your family is still you and your extended family, but your family within the church. And he wants to do something beautiful in the world through this. Most of the time in our culture, there's a devalued of church because it's like, where does the church fit? It's not a part of city plans anymore. They're not central to the community. In fact, where can a church even meet? If you've been a part of Ridgeview, you're like, that's a good question. There's a season we didn't even know. So we've lived in a time where it's like the, the value of church has kind of decreased and decreased and decreased. And so in our culture, there's not a lot of value. But if we seek wisdom together and we make progress and we actually build things according to God's wisdom as a church, God will raise things up that actually will attract the culture back. And so we have to be committed to this. So I wanna kind of read some scriptures that, that paint uh, this picture. And you can see the scripture. I'm gonna read it and explain it a little bit. This is Paul uh, speaking. He's, he's writing uh, to a church in Colossia. This is in like modern uh, Turkey. And this is a church that's been started uh, actually not by Paul, but somebody that heard the gospel in Ephesus, went back to his hometown and told all the people that he knew about Jesus. And people gave their life to follow him. And his, his like, teachings and his lessons and what he did rising from the dead was getting known in this, this world and his fame was spreading. But it wasn't a fame just for your own folks, but it was this thing of like, we want to build a church. We want to build a group of people that proclaim Christ. And so he's writing to this group of new Christians and he tells them to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, how many of you are like, consider yourself like a singer? Anybody? You don't have to like volunteer to sing right now. Just, you know, how many of you find like singing can be kind of awkward? Anyone? Okay. We're learning a lot about our church. There's a little bit more awkward singing people than people that, that really enjoy it, and that's okay. But the reason we sing is not because like we either love it or we feel talented or gifted to do it. We sing because we're commanded to do it. Like we come together and if the treasures of Jesus are real, we wanna sing songs that reflect that. You ever notice you sing songs when there's something you wanna sing about? Like an anthem, it moves you. I wanna know what love is. That was like, that, that just came to my head. I don't know why. That was a terrible first choice. But like, if you wanna know what love is, you're singing that song. You're on a quest to find it. And I want you to show me, yeah, we know what you wanna do, Okay. But the scriptures here, it's much more than just singing, but singing has a place. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Notice it begins with peace. The church should be a place of, of peace. Do you think we live in a time when people are longing for peace? Absolutely. If you look at our world, for sure, right now, with what's happening, 
but then also just the turmoil people face, facing situations in life like they've never known, the stress that's overwhelming. And so what happens is in the church, there should be this sense of we, we, we have this peace, not because we check out or we don't face what's going on in the world. It's not like our heads are in the sand. But there's a peace that comes because of what we're anchored to. We're not anchored to our circumstances. We're not even anchored to our own happiness. We're anchored to the reality that God is gonna walk with us through whatever we face. And so there should be a commitment to peace in the church. Like God is gonna come through and we should encourage each other in that. God's gonna come through. He's with us. He's for us. He's watching us. As we face hard things, we face hard things together. And we're gonna encourage each other to peace uh, together. And then you see how that happens. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. This is talking about calling. Anytime you see calling in the scriptures, it's talking about your purpose, your identity. The church is supposed to be a place where we are people that only fight for peace in our own hearts when there's turmoil and we ask God for help with what we're facing and we pray and just keep turning over these conflicts and these problems and the turmoil we have. But it's actually a part of our identity Like as we see people and they feel under it and they're overwhelmed and they're stressed. There's a sense of like, how can I bring peace to this person? How can I encourage them in peace? How can I pray for their peace? How can I listen to them and tell them that I love them so that peace can grow? This is part of our calling, our identity. Now, do all your problems fall between 10 o'clock and 1130 on a Sunday? No. So the place of peace here is not talking about service right? We have to kind of reframe our mind. It's not just talking about this church service. We sit and we just, yeah, it, it's ongoing. Peace should be in the relationships throughout the week. We're checking with people. We're checking back with people. We're praying. And that's a commitment. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Now, I could spend a whole sermon on these three words. So it's peace, fight for peace, pursue peace with each other. And then what? And be Thankful. Does any of you struggle with being like a pessimistic type person? Now, pastor, that must be rhetorical because I'm not going to raise my hand. <laughs> but I think all of us in different degrees can struggle with that. You know, the half glass full or half empty. All of us can struggle. Now, I have certain people that would be more half empty in my life. And if you're a half empty person, you don't call it pessimism. It's realism. It's not being negative. I'm being real. I'm facing the facts. And optimistic are people, yeah, but your facts are really bringing me down. <laughs> right? Like, does the sky always have to be gray? Well, if the sky's gray, it has to be. Right? Like, realism, pessimism, optimism. And then the realists to the optimists are like, yeah, but your heads are always in the clouds. You're not really with reality. And so we can go from like one thing to another. But this idea of being thankful, again, is not tied to how we see things, like good or bad in our life. But again, it's tied to what we're gonna talk about next. So the peace and the thankfulness are tied to verse 16. If you want to grow in thankfulness in your life and gratitude, and if you want peace to kind of permeate your life and your words have peace connected to them, and your words have gratitude connected to them, Verse 16 has to be true of all of us. And this is what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, dwell is the sense of like it is uh, rooted 
deep within you. And that's something that you have to take ownership of yourself. So the church should be a place where we talk about God's word, and that's the truth, and it guides us. And we can build our life on the truth. It's the foundation, the only foundation we can build life on. But it's not just somebody telling you about the truth. It's you soaking in the truth yourself and experiencing it, and it becomes real. So when it says dwell, he's talking about every believer needs to spend time soaking in God's word. And I was thinking about that in my own life. If you were to do like a comparison of how much scripture is dwelling versus how much like media is dwelling or how much you know, news is dwelling or how much like Wordle is, and you guys started that, like Wordle is the new thing. Man, that, that can get your attention too. But there's all sorts of things that can get our attention, but I wonder if there was an app where it could track your heart and it just said, Dwelling in God's word versus everything else, like what would the percentage be? And I'm a little bit nervous about what that would say. And there'd be all sorts of caveats. But what Paul is saying here to this group that are fighting for Christ to be real in their lives and they're fighting for this church to survive and to thrive and to reach people is he's saying, if you wanna be people of peace and you wanna be people filled with thankfulness, God's word has to dwell in you. It's this idea of, of richly, and this means like an abundance. You're, you're committed to it. You put time to it. So I just wanna just say this. If you haven't spent much time reading God's word, it can be very overwhelming. And so one of the things we have on our information tables, we have Bibles. And if you've never read God's word, start with a table of contents and begin to just look up books. If you don't know where books are, that's fine. Start where you are. But like, read the book of John. Start with that book. It's about Christ. And it's an easy book. Like you can, it's a narrative. It will pull you in. Begin to read it for yourself. There's something that can seem foreign about God's word. Like it's something that I don't do, but others tell me about. But did you know that the future of this church and the future of your Christian life and my Christian life can never be connected to what somebody tells you about God's word? If you want life change and you want wisdom, God will speak to you personally. But you have to spend that time. It has to dwell in you richly. And then he goes on and he says, as you teach and admonish one another with all what? Wisdom. Very interesting. How can you admonish people with with wisdom? Now, admonish means to warn gently. It's like a warning, but it's gentle. It's like, I love you but here's my sense of something. Again, we live in a time where like people can't tell you anything about your life. And if they do, it's like, who do you think you are? Right? I mean, we have means for that. Like, did I ask? Well, the scriptures actually say, well, there's a part where this warning gently should be a part of what we do and it's an admonishment. Neither teaching, you ever had somebody teach you something? You're like, I'm not asking you to teach me now. And it's terrible. You're like, when are you gonna Stop. That's mostly like what family life is with your parents. Here we go. Dad's talking again. I'm speaking for myself. That goes on in my head when I start speaking, right? But this, this is different, teaching and admonishing with all wisdom. And then that, again, leads to this overflow of this joy. There's a joy that we have. Why? Because God's word is in us richly. We're spending time with it. And because we're spending time with it, there's gratitude that's growing, And because of that, there's peace that's growing. And so Paul's just painting this picture. If you want peace and you want gratitude and you want to grow in wisdom, 
Let God's word dwell in you richly. And that's something we have to remember about wisdom. Uh, you may be somebody who likes to instruct people. You may have a gift of that. You may be a teacher. You may be someone that has a knack of helping people see their problems and how to get out of it. But I wanna encourage you, even if you're gifted in teaching and you like to help people, the best thing you can do for somebody is to know God's word. They need God's word, not just experience. They need the truth, not just what we can see or learn in a classroom, in education, in our culture. The truth supernaturally sets things different. You see things that you can't see without it. And so it's so important. There's actually more that goes on in this, and there's actually roles, and so I'm gonna talk a little bit about myself here, but I'm not doing that as like a, I'm gonna tell you my role in the church. But there's a lot of scripture that speaks to this function of what happened to the church that's unique to any situation. And actually, I'm held accountable, and it's part of my calling, and I'm gonna stand before God as how I led this church. So for my role in life, I'm gonna stand before God as how I led my life, how I led my family, and then how I led this church. But I'm not overwhelmed by that. That actually gives me confidence because I wanna be faithful right here. So when I stand before God and I give an account for my life, I can say, God, man, I messed up a lot, but by your grace, I'm here. And you did something that I could not do. You held it all together. But I wanna uh, describe this because Paul builds on his point, even though it's previous in Colossians 1. So let's read this. It says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So now he's talking about his own leadership and his role in helping this church get established. He's probably referring we to Timothy, his protege, who he was training in ministry. So he's saying is our goal is, is to proclaim him, him as Christ, proclaim him. Now notice the similarities. What's that word again? Admonishing. We saw that in chapter three. And teaching, same word, right? Everyone with all wisdom. You see, it's, it's almost like the same verse. This is a couple chapters before. This is Colossians 1. We proclaim him, Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, if I was given the role before God and I'm gonna stand accountable to him and he's gonna say, did you make those people perfect? What am I gonna say? No. But this word perfect is not like our English word. It's actually meaning this mature, a completeness. The people that God puts under your care in any leadership role that you have, you have a role to help them be who God has called them to be, to call them to their potential, to do what he says, to encourage them in that. We can pr present everyone perfect in Christ. And then verse 29, to this end, I labor and I work and I struggle with all his energy. Again, this is Christ's energy, which so powerfully works in me. Now that similarities you can see, the admonishment, the teaching, and it's really this, this vision of what the church should be. The church should be a group of people who are doing this with each other, and the church should be also where leaders are doing the same thing. One of my prayers every time I speak before you, and anytime I speak to a group of people is, is God, will you put a guard over my mouth so that what I say will be pleasing to you? And if you've been around here, there's some times when that guard has maybe gone down. And I said some things, I'm like, man, that didn't even make sense. And maybe that was wrong. And I have to clear that up. But I take it very seriously. When I'm speaking, I think everything I say, God's gonna hold me accountable for. 
So that's, that's serious. I need to handle the wisdom that God's given in a way that's gonna please him and will reflect him as I help people become mature and complete in Christ. Now notice the emphasis is not on Paul and it's not on any leader. It's on Christ who's proclaimed and it's on Christ who gives the energy and it's on Christ who gives the power. There's nothing special about a spiritual leader other than he's been given authority by God. And so as a spiritual leader, we have to do our job to make sure we are living out this life that we proclaim. That's why the mark of a spiritual leader is character first, more than gifts. You need to be the person before you do it. You see that again and again in the scriptures of what the qualification of an elder, a leader, a pastor, this has to be you, your life. It has to be real. And that's actually the same in the church. If you want to impart wisdom, people need to look at your life and see it. Now, they can still choose to learn from you, but if they see the wisdom, they're much more likely to hear the wisdom, right? Isn't that how it works? You ever had somebody giving you advice and you're like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Last night, I was, I was at a wedding and there was a guy that had had a little bit too much to drink. It was actually, there was like no bar at the wedding, but they found, you know, you can find it if you want it. And he's giving uh, instructions on what should happen. And as he's talking, he had such a confidence, but then he started slurring his words. And then he started like trailing off in the middle of a sentence. And I'm with a couple other people and we're in this situation, just listening to him and I just look at them and I kind of smile. And I realize he's very confident, but he has no idea what he's talking about. So I said, are you, are you sober right now? Not, not really. And he just began to talk some more. And then it was like, okay, at that point, we no longer need to take confident advice from somebody who's not there. That's a lot of what it can be like without God's word. We can have great reasoning. We could have great education. We could have great training. But if we don't have God's wisdom and God's word that's permeating our life, it actually can't help a lot of people. So this is so, we have to live this out. And as we do, some real change can happen. So I wanna close out by talking about, well, how do, how do we do this together? So let's turn the page. How do we seek wisdom uh, together? So this is for what we can do as a church. And the first one is this, aggressively participate in the fellowship of the church. I actually love that word aggressively because we don't use it much today, especially as it relates to the things of God. The church seems like it should just be a people of nice, you know, nice people who show up and smile and, and leave. Right? You, you're there, you smile. Hi, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. See you next week. But actually, if we're supposed to be a group of people that are seeking wisdom together, it's actually something you need, you need to, to pursue. Again, the pursuit. You have to pursue it. And it's actually a fight. You have to fight to do that. Have you ever just wanted to check out from church, from community, from group of people? Absolutely. That, that pull is in, in, in all of us. But to aggressively participate means that there's something that I want to be a part of helping happen here. And God's given me a unique role to make it happen. And I truly believe that for our church. God has placed you here in this time and he's made you exactly how he wants to make you. You're wiring and you're gifting and he's brought you here for a moment of time. However long that is, 
to make a difference in this church. And that's for everybody. There may be some rough edges you need to smooth out. There may be some sin that you need to deal with. But again, as we participate aggressively and decide, like, I want to be a part of this church and I want to be do whatever I can to be a part of seeking wisdom together, God, God does something. And we find this in the scripture of Hebrews 10. This was my COVID verse. Uh, verse 24, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. A spur there is like you would imagine a spur on a horse. Um, great idea if you're the cowboy with the spur because it kind of jingles as you walk. It's kind of cool. I got my spurs on. Not as great if you're the horse, right? So notice the analogy. We're supposed to actually consider, take time to think, intentionally plan on how we can help people. And the spur is, is this challenge with encouragement or really encouragement with an edge of challenge. Here at Ridgeview, we talk about correcting each other because there's times we need it, we have blind spots. And so it should be like 95% encouragement, 5% correction. People should know you love them and you are there for them, but they also may need to know the truth because if you're going off a cliff, you don't need somebody who's nice. You need somebody who's gonna stop you. You get what I'm saying? This is the scripture, it's real. So we have to consider how we may spur one another onto what? Love and good deeds. Not to feeling better about yourself. Not about them feeling better about you. But how can I spur, encourage and challenge them to keep taking hold of the life that God has to sacrifice for others, to love and to do the work that God has given them. To be faithful. How can I do that? In verse 25, this is why it was my COVID verse. Let us not give up meeting together. During COVID, you know, it was, it was a crazy time as a church and all churches across the world. And for us, it was like we were online only for six months. We were in the park for nine months and then we've been here since June. But it just kept coming to my mind again and again. We have to fight for this. We cannot wait for anybody to tell us this is important. Why? Because God has told us it's important. We don't have to wait for anyone to give us permission. The church is worth fighting for. In fact, there's people before us, the church is worth dying for. And so we have to be the type of people that are willing to stand in the gap and say, for us to continue the work that God wants to do in the church, here, in this community, we have to be willing to fight for it. But fight for it means like, take up arms. No, fight for it means sacrifice. Humble yourself, be committed, pull in, don't check out. Let us not give it up. It's to let go of it. It actually literally give up means to neglect. It's like to forget about. You just left it and you didn't come back. It's so easy for us to do that. And when enough people do that in a church, what happens to the church? It dies. I don't know if you know that, but there's churches closing every day in North America. And I can't remember what the average is, but it was like, basically more were closing than were being started. So there's no progress, there's no growth. And the darkness is still there. So there's such a unique opportunity that we have. So let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing. Now, the habit of doing means this is normal. The way I like to say it, 
It could be normal to, to me too. It could be normal to you. All of us could be in danger of just checking out of church. And one of the, the most encouraging things I see here at Ridgeview is when I meet people and I talk to them and I ask them about their religious background. I ask them about their church background and their story of following Jesus. And we have a lot of unchurched people that are part of this church that God has used and they've become Christians. We have people that are still exploring. And then we have a unique group, which is I used to be a part of a church and maybe for decades they were not. And God brought them back. And so it doesn't matter. Even the time frame, if you've gotten out of the habit, today's the time to build the habit again. And don't give it up. And then it talks again, but let us encourage one another. There's that encouragement. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day there is talking about the time when Jesus will return. It's a reminder. There are things that we need to do right here and right now because we don't know how long we have. And there's things that we need to do right here and right now because forever is coming. And people will either spend forever and eternity in heaven with Christ as they give their life to him or they will spend eternity in hell without him if they have not given their life to him. So it's this idea of this encouragement, this place of peace, this place of gratitude, this place of God's word dwelling with us richly, it has eternity at stake. And God's people don't have the option to give that up because the stakes are so high. So consider, spur, love and good deeds, don't give up meeting and stay in the habit. When we got the church started, I think I've shared this a few times, but if you ever started something like it's a business or any like enterprise and the church can be similar, there's times when you start it and you're like, wow, this is great, we've got it started. And then like the next day you're like, I hope it makes it today. Like you're, you're not even sure it's gonna make it like the week, the day. And, and it's like, it can be a roller coaster. And uh, there was just different times, especially when we were first starting where it's like, God, I don't know what's gonna happen, but so fragile. You know those times when like things are fragile, relationships are fragile, your work is fragile, your finances are fragile. The church can be fragile. Like you just, God's holding it together, but it always seems like things are unraveling. That can happen a lot. And I was, I was having just a, a time in my life where I was just, I was discouraged. And I just was like, God, we're just gonna keep doing this thing, but this is tough. And I just felt down and I didn't really know it. And then somebody called me from the church and was like, how are you doing? Actually, I'm not doing great at all. Like, I'm pretty discouraged. I feel really down, I feel like nothing's happening. It just feels like it's unraveling. And the person on the other line was like, are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Those are my real feelings, thank you very much. But are you kidding me? Look, look at what God's doing. And he began to just talk through all that he saw God was doing. And then he began to explain how encouraged he was by what God was doing in his own life. You know what I needed at that moment? I needed a spur. Are you kidding me is a good word. Are you not seeing what you should see? Now you bring it up. No, I, I haven't seen that at all. I haven't thought of it. I've been completely negative and freaked out. I didn't know it until we just talked. But those are conversations I have all the time. And I'm on different receiving ends, sometimes giving it, sometimes receiving it. 
But this is the picture. There's this ongoing conversation that we can have with people where we, we help them with perspective. We help them see things differently that they may not see. Are you kidding me? We all need people in our life that could say that. Let me, let me help you see something else. Have you considered this? What about that? And they, they ask good questions. You begin to see things differently. I don't know about you. When, when I just see what I want to see, I can't see anything else. There's blind spots. Wisdom seekers mean God is bringing you people that have your back that can see things you cannot see. And you know what's crazy about it? Is you will probably help them see things they cannot see in a different time, in a different issue. That's the church. It can be so transactional, like, well, they're always the one that need the help or they're always the one that give the help, or they're always the one serving me, and I can't serve. Well, it's, it's reciprocal. That's what fellowship is. It's we, we encourage each other, you do to me, and I do to you. It may not be at the same time, but it happens. That's what a fellowship is. And so I wanna encourage you, aggressively be a part of the church. I wasn't taught that when I was a kid. I grew up in the church. It was very optional. I mean, my parents didn't always make it that way. But it was optional in my mind, like kind of like a take it or leave it. Like if I don't have anything else better to do. So it became something that I actually didn't see the difference that it made. It wasn't real. But when I read this, you have to ask a question. Why would the writer write in some, some like these uncertain terms, like do not give up meeting together? Like, don't you dare do that. Don't you think about that. Because, you know, he knew the stakes. You know, like when we're disconnected and we pull away and we're uncommitted, we get really off track. And when we get really off track, it leads us to get further off track because we're alone. So the stakes are really high. So that's the first, aggressively participate uh, in the fellowship of the church. And then the second, aggressively learn and listen uh, from the wise. Aggressively learn and listen from the wise. I wanna just read a couple of verses, uh, one in Proverbs and one in Ecclesiastes. This is what Proverbs 13, 20 says. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. One of the most important things you can remember about wisdom, it's cause and effect. If you wanna grow in wisdom, but you're not aggressively around wise people by choosing to get time with them, you can't grow in wisdom. This is talking about wisdom that's learned from somebody else. If you want to grow in wisdom, you need to spend time with wise people. It's actually not just age. It's not just age. Now, there are people, because of their age and experience, it would be wise to listen to them. But this wisdom here comes from the Hebrew word shakam, which is a wisdom that comes from skill. This is a person that has skill uh, they, they know how to do something, something like, like creating something, like a sculptor has a skill to do it. They know how to use their tool to shape and to create something. They know how to build something. They know how to ask the right questions. They know how to, to kind of see what's before them and know how to read and respond to situations. It's very hard to grow in skill unless you learn from people with it. It's like coaching. If you want somebody to coach you, they need to know what they're coaching you in. If you want somebody to help you with wisdom, they need to have it. 
certain degree of it. There needs to be certain things that they've, you know, built in their life. And so one of the things in the church is like, we, we want to be a group of people that we're growing in wisdom together. And then people who you see have a certain skill, maybe beyond you. And maybe their, their finances, and they seem like they make good decisions financially. And you're like, I don't know if I've ever made a wise financial decision. Well, if you've never made it, most of the time, you're just going to keep reproducing what you do, right? All of us do that in different areas. So you could actually pull to somebody who you think might have success in an area and say, could you help me? I keep making the same mistakes in my finances. I want to grow in wisdom here. Could you help me? That's what the church is supposed to be. You struggle, you, you know, with your parenting and you just feel like you can't get ahead and you don't know how to deal with maybe some unruly kids. What you're supposed to do in the church, you're supposed to look and say, who has kids that actually I wouldn't mind my kids being like? Is it just coincidence that they are the way that they are? Is it magical? By not giving them the special beans that I should have? Or is there something to it? Well, the wife says, well, if they've got skill and they produce something that I would like to produce in my own life, I'm gonna ask them. This is not normal. It's not normal. We tend to live our life and we're not very curious. And part of that's reinforced by the sad in our hearts. Like we're selfish and arrogant and the arrogance is like, I don't wanna ask because if I ask for coaching, they know I don't know. I'll give you just, this will help. People already know. Do you know that? They already know. That's not judgment. That's not holding against you. But for the most part, it leaks out. The church can be a place where we're, we're so concerned with other people think that we want to hide. But for the most part, people know. People know that you're struggling. People know that you need help. But to grow in wisdom, you have to aggressively listen and learn from wise people. You have to ask questions. You have to pursue. You have to take initiative. Very rarely will a wise person come to you without you asking. Because there's actually scriptures that warn against giving advice to people who don't ask. There's actually warnings against giving advice to fools. It will blow up in your face. So if you ever wonder, like, people aren't giving me help. They're not, they're not telling me what I should do. Are you asking? If you're not, I encourage you, ask for help. People will give it to you. But oftentimes you have to dig it out like the treasure of wisdom. And, and they will give you it. Ecclesiastes 4.13. This is a helpful scripture as well. Better was a, I don't think this is on your, your handout, but better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. One thing I wanna say about aggressively learning and listening, this is actually a warning to all who are older. Wisdom is always increasing or decreasing. You're growing in it or you're not, and you're losing it. So the picture is there's actually a poor and wise youth, like he's poor, like he doesn't have a lot of success. He's just starting out in his life. He's getting things built, but he's asking questions. He's learning skill. He has people around him that he's learning from, and he's growing in wisdom. And King Solomon, who was the wisest person that ever lived, who wrote this book, 
is painting a picture. It's better to actually have nothing in your youth, but be on the path to wisdom. Because over time, you'll be able to build things with God's help. Then the comparison, then an old and foolish king, and what's the warning? That no longer knew how to take advice. As soon as we become people that we lose the skill and the humility and the teachability to take advice, we're in big trouble. This is a warning to all of us. Now, if you are older, God wants to use you in the church in a unique way, to be a help. If you've had skill in certain areas, he wants to use you to help people gain skill. If you don't have skill in a certain area, he wants to use you to set an example in humility and learning. People are gonna look to you and see how you respond. So if you're older, you have a unique role in the congregation. Whether you're on the track or not, wherever you are, God can grow you in wisdom. And in your humility to learn it, that will speak to other people. We all set the culture of whether this is real or not. So if you need help, you know, with your finances, again, you you need to talk to somebody who has success there. Not perfect, but has some traction. If you're making decisions, good question is, are there people in the church that make wise decisions from what I can tell? Do people have wisdom in marriage? But they seem like to have a strong marriage. You may need to ask for help there. So the key words, three words. Got to remember these. First one starts with I, need help. If you want to grow in wisdom, you have to be willing to say those three words. I need help. That's what God wants our church to be. A group of people who are willing to say, I need help. And then the other group of people are saying, like, I will help you. It's actually beautiful. God has brought you here to get the help that you need. And then as you grow in wisdom, God has brought you here to give the help to those people in need. That's fellowship. You give and you receive. That's the church. Nothing like this exists anywhere else. It's only in the church. These are commands to God's people. And it's, it's beautiful. Nothing can, can replace it. So I need help. It's very important. Proverbs twenty two seventeen. I'm gonna wrap up here. Pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. So th- this is that idea of listen, learn aggressively. And I just wanna end with s- some pointers here. Have you ever talked to somebody and as they're talking to you, you're like, wow, that's really good. Like, that's really helpful things that they're saying. And then you walk away and later you're like, man, that was like really good advice. And then you get home and you don't remember anything they've said. Like you have the the strength of forgetfulness. I have that so much in my life. Like I just, man, that was so good. What was it? I don't have any idea. Can't remember it one bit. Well, there's actually things that you can do uh, to learn and listen. So I just wanna end with this. These are just some practical tips. How to learn and listen from wise people. Uh, First is listen intelligently. If you want to learn from wise people, listen intelligently. What this means, this is a small step, but it could change your life. Don't do all the talking. Don't do all the talking. I need help means talk to me. 
don't do all the talking. Ask questions and listen to the response. I need help in finances. I need help in paying off my debt. I need help with my kids who don't listen to me. You ask the question and then you listen. See what God will do. Listen intelligently. If you do most of the talking, you will not grow in wisdom. You already know what you think. So you have to, you have to listen. The scriptures, when it says pay attention to, to wise people, it actually means to you stretch your ear. You know, you ever had somebody say something, you can't hear it? And you're like, huh? Like, what was that? That's how it should be with a wise person. This person is saying something that could actually change my life. Save me from something. I cannot see. I'm gonna stretch my ear and hear them. That's what it means to pay attention. Guys, this is why we need God's word. We are not inclined to do this. This is certainly not what you see in our culture. But God's ways is different. Listen intelligently. Uh, the next, apply your heart to what is taught. That means, uh, you know, wrestle and think about it. If you ask for, for help in an area, please, please, please write what the person says down. <laughs> write it down. If you just, you can't keep up saying, can I record what you're gonna say? Would you be willing to do that? Like, I don't wanna miss it. We don't have relationships like this a lot, but it's like, I, I need help. So you, you have to apply your heart. Like, I want to listen to what you're saying. I wanna take notes. If people don't take notes when you're speaking, most of the time, it's probably not that important to them. That's what I've learned in my life. Because if I don't take notes, most of the time, it's not that important to me because I forget. So if you really want to grow in wisdom, ask for help, ask a question, and then take notes. We have phones with notes on it. Literally, it's called notes. And you can look back on it. You don't have to find, where did I put that journal? Or that card, just write it right on your phone if you can. So it's hard to remember uh, details if you don't take notes. You remember an impression. Man, that was so helpful. What was helpful? I have no idea. I didn't write it down. But it was really helpful. And what do you do differently? Nothing, because you didn't write it down. Now, it's not the magic key, but teachability is I care about what you're saying, so I really want to record it. I want to write it so I can refer back to it. They're giving you skill and understanding. Shakam. That skill you may need to write down. So apply your heart. Last, take their advice. Now, you need to listen to God's word. That's why you want to make sure the person you're asking is wise. If they are wise, they will give you wise advice. But you still need to check that with Scripture. You don't want to do something that's against God's will for you. But most of the time, it's not that it's not God's will when people give us advice. Do you know why most of the time we don't want to do it? I just gave the answer. Because we don't want to do it. We just don't want to do it because we have something else that we want to do instead. So if someone's giving you next steps and they tell you to do something, do it. A wise person oftentimes is giving you a test. I don't know if you knew that, but if they're really wise, they know there's a certain amount you need to do to gain wisdom. And so they may give you an assignment. If you don't do the assignment, 
you may not really be that serious about growing in wisdom. So sometimes there's a little test, like, are they gonna pour more into you by what you're doing? Am I gonna take the next step that I need to do? Am I gonna do the homework that they asked me uh, to do? So not normal. It, It honestly just feels like, what kind of people are we talking about? This is God's people. This is the church. We admonish, we warn, we encourage, we help each other. Here's some scriptures if you're interested in learning just more of what it says about taking advice. And I didn't, I didn't put them up here on purpose. Proverbs 12, 15. Proverbs 19, 20. Proverbs 11, 14. Proverbs 24, 6. Proverbs 15, 22. And then Ecclesiastes 4.13, which I led. One more time. Proverbs 12.15, Proverbs 19.20, Proverbs 11.14, Proverbs 24.6, Proverbs 15.22, and Ecclesiastes 4.13. That's all about taking advice. So next steps, a little bit different. I'm gonna invite the band to come up, a little bit different. Uh, You can put them all up there if you can, and I'll just walk through them at once. So what did you hear? When will you do it? And who is going to help you? That's just something you wanna think about. So what did I hear? What's something I need to do? And then who can help me as I take that step? So we're gonna play another song. We're gonna receive our offering. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. But my prayer and what I'm gonna pray right now is, is God will make us these type of people who seek wisdom together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are in your word, which instructs us differently than our own experiences and actually what we see and sometimes what we feel, it it gives us reality as it is according to who you are. And thank you for the anchor and the bearings that it gives us. God, I pray that we will become a church that seeks wisdom together, that we will be intentional, not just to talk, but to actually pursue your ways. The ways of wisdom are right and they're righteous and they're just. So God, help us to be a group of people that are willing to commit to each other, to investing and sacrificing with each other. We have desire, Lord, but but we need your supernatural power and we need your strength to make this a reality. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.